Now let's turn to our scripture as we continue our series, Close Encounters with the Christ. And uh, this is Mark 5, 1 through 20, Jesus' encounter with a demon-possessed man named Legion. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to, to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The word of the Lord. Well, there are 200 federal penitentiaries in the United States, but there's one that stands above them all. It's a supermax facility. It's called officially the U.S. Penitentiary Administration Maximum Security Facility in Florence, Colorado. But everyone calls it, by its common parlance, ADX. ADX is the place they send prisoners where there is no other place to send them aside from to the electric chair. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, resides there. Eric Rudolph, who was responsible for the Atlanta Olympics bombing, is there. Terry Nichols, the Oklahoma City bomber. Zacharias Musai, who was involved with the 9-11 attacks, he is there as well. The purpose of ADX is not rehabilitation. It's restraining the most dangerous of all criminals. So at the ADX, you are granted a 12-foot by 7-foot cell in solitary confinement in which you reside 23 hours a day in this box of a room. You're only allowed out one hour a day in which you will exercise in solitary. There's a window that's three feet tall, but only four inches wide, in which you can look up at the sky, but only at the sky, so you can't have a sense of where you are in the facility. The current warden, Rob Wood, when he got there, was amazed at ADX. 
There was no noise. There was no mess. There were no prisoners walking the halls. It was, as Rob described it, a very, very clean hell. The story is about imprisonment. A man who is imprisoned by a prison that is not physical, but spiritual. And much like the prisoners in ADX, he's isolated, he's abused, and he's considered beyond rehabilitation. And there is a spiritual warden that watches over him with a number of his minions, Satan and this legion of demons. Jesus has come into this man's life on a rescue mission. Indeed, that was the purpose that Jesus came, was it not? To free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in the darkness. And Jesus frees this man by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this man is free. But there is another group of people in the story, the crowd. While the demons even recognize who Jesus is, they do not. In fact, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. The irony of this story is that we discover that the crowd is also living in a spiritual prison, and they don't even know it. See, there's two groups in this story, the man who is rescued and the others who are not, one who is free and the others who continue to remain slaves. We must look at this story and we must examine our own life. We must answer the question, are we too in prison or are we free? Because this passage tells us one thing and one thing alone, that there is only one way to be free. Jesus sets us free by becoming our master. If you live under his lordship, you will live in freedom. Well, we're going to examine three points to buttress this point I just made. Number one, we have to first see the spiritual reality. Are we free or are we a slave? Number two, we have to submit to the Savior. We must bow our knee to Jesus Christ in order to be freed from the prison of Satan. And finally, number three, we get the opportunity to sing of our salvation. God has given us a new voice, a new song. Because Jesus came to set you free by becoming your master, live under his lordship and you will live in freedom. Let's look at the first point, to see the spiritual reality. See, Jesus has come to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. I find it somewhat ironic that the word Gerasen in Aramaic means a stranger draws near. Jesus has just stilled the storm uh, on the Sea of Galilee. He has demonstrated his mastery over the physical realm. And we see that Jesus steps out of the boat and immediately, it says, he is met out of the tombs by a man with an unclean spirit. In other translations, this story is also in the book of Luke. It says that he is met by a man with demons. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So we have a description, a character sketch of this person. First of all, he's inhabited by demons. And he lives among the tombs. He makes his home among the dead. He's wearing no clothes. He's naked. And so his body has been 
pummeled by the environments, the extreme heat and the cold. He's unmanageable. See, he's been often been bound with shackles and chains, but he's wrenched them apart and broken the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. He's, why are they trying to bind him, by the way? The answer is because he's violent. He's violent to other people, and he's violent to himself. He has a self-destructive streak in him because of these demons. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This word crying literally means shrieking. He was shrieking always at the top of his voice. And he was continuously destroying his body, cutting himself. He was in a sort of solitary confinement, trapped inside himself with no way out. Now, why is this man in this condition? It's because he has demons, literally a legion of demons. We don't know how many demons, but a legion is actually a full-strength Roman legion has 6,000 soldiers. So we're talking innumerable amounts of demons that inherited, uh, excuse me, inhabiting this man. Now, we know something about demons. Demons are angels that have rebelled against God. The scriptures tell us that at a certain point in time, before the creation of man, Satan, who was a chief angel and a number of angels with him, rebelled against uh, God and sought to depose God. But they were cast down from heaven. They were defeated by God and had a curse placed on them. Well, these demons, these, uh, these rebellious angels are sentient beings we see that they recognize Jesus, they can speak, they can show fear, and they're hurting this man. Now the question is, why are they hurting this man? Because this man is in the image of God. Remember, God, uh, man, God made mankind in the image of God, and man uh, and Satan hates God, and so thus it makes sense that because he hates God, he would hate man who is in his image. Also, man is corporeal. Man not only has a spiritual nature, but a physical nature as well. And there's something about Satan that hates this fact that he doesn't have a physical nature. He's fascinated with it. He wants to inhabit it. Quite simply, Satan is hurting this man, these demons, because they can. It is because of the fall of man that man is under the power of Satan. You remember the story in the garden when Adam and Eve were confronted by Satan and Satan said, you don't have to follow God. God said, you, don't, you, can eat from the, you, don't, you can't eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you can eat from it and you'll, you'll know like God will know. In fact, you'll be like God. And man was confronted with a choice. Will I trust God? Or will I trust this serpent, Satan? Well, they trusted Satan's counsel and fell under the authority of Satan. And the result of that is this world is under the rule of Satan. In John 12, 31, Satan is called the ruler of this world. And in Hebrews 2, 1, 4, it says that he holds the power of death and keeps people in slavery through their fear of death. 
Throughout the world, Satan is pulling strings and we are the marionettes. This whole uh, talk, uh, I don't know if you were, your skin was crawling as Susan was sharing about VBJI. People think evil is not alive and well on planet Earth. They should listen to some of these stories. Satan is alive and well and is pulling the strings and we are the marionettes. Well, Carlos, if all of this is true, why are not more people possessed by the devil? The answer is they are. Billions of people are possessed by the devil. Now you say, Carlos, are you saying that billions of people are like this man right here? Yes and no. See, possession does not always mean habitation, does it? This iPhone belongs to me. I possess it. I can do whatever I want with it. I can throw it to the ground and destroy it. But I don't inhabit it, do I? I simply own it. Billions in this world are under the power and ownership of Satan. This man is inhabited, but others are owned. And when you're owned, you have to do what that person says. If you have any question if this is true or not, all you have to do is look at the world. Because the major problems of this world are spiritual. Scientists tell us that there's more than enough food on planet Earth to feed everyone. But the reason not everyone is fed is because of greed. Why does war emerge and erupt? It's because of hatred and because of mistrust. Why are people abused for profit? It's because Satan is pulling the strings. Why are people so lonely and in solitary confinement from one another? It's because of the evil one. The best that the world can do is say, if everyone had a better education, the things would be fine. The world is taken to now blaming somebody. It's this person's fault or it's this person's fault. But the problem is much deeper than that, isn't it? We're all guilty of giving ourselves over to someone who doesn't care about us. And the solutions of the world cannot restrain man's behavior because Satan is the deceiver and he's hiding in plain sight. I don't know if you saw this heartbreaking account uh, came out in Christianity Today of Ravi Zacharias. Some of you are familiar with Ravi Zacharias. He is an ap apologist, which means he's a supposed defender of the Christian faith. He and his organization would go around to college campuses explaining why Christianity is true. Well, it turns out that Ravi Zacharias was leading a double life. I would say masquerading as a Christian because he, was, uh, he had a secret life in which he would abuse women and deceive women and had all sorts of sexual issues. And now that Ravi Zacharias has passed away, all of this is coming to life and this ministry is just being burnt down. The truth of the matter is Ravi Zacharias was under the control of Satan. Was he complicit in this? Of course. It's not simply Satan made me do it. But he was masquerading as a Christian. Satan was pulling the strings and he was all too willing to play the part. 
But you see, Jesus came to break the chains of Satan's possession of the human race. But if we want to understand the part that we have to play, we must recognize the problem. It's not bad education. It's not misinformation. It's not poor politics. It's the evil one. We, above all people, must recognize our unseen enemy. If you are not a Christian and you're hearing this message that I'm giving you, I am telling you that he owns you. You may say, well, I'm not owned. How can you say that? Where does your hatred come from? Where does the loneliness you have in your heart come from? How come you know the good you should do and you don't do it? Christ came to release prisoners and you are one of them. And all of us have been one of them at some time or another. But if you are a Christian, if you have been released from the power of Satan, we must always keep our eyes on the spiritual reality of life that we have an unseen enemy who pushes against us at every turn. And the only way that people can be freed is through the power of Christ. This brings me to my second point, that we must submit to the Savior. We see when this de uh, demoniac saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The demon recognizes Jesus' position, that he is the Son of the Most High God. And the demons also recognize their own position because they run to Jesus as if summoned and fall down before him and recognize that Jesus has the power to torment them. In other passages it says, have you come here to torment us before the appointed time? See, there is an appointed time at the end of time when Jesus will take all of those demons and will throw them into the abyss of hell and will torment them forever. A lot of people don't know, but hell was originally designed not for people, but was designed for demons as a place of punishment and isolation. Jesus asks, what is your name? To which he responds, we are legion because we are many. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there, and they begged Jesus, saying, send us into the pigs and let us enter them. Why did they ask this? It was because they didn't want to be sent to the abyss. They didn't want to be sent to hell. They wanted to still have what little freedom they had left before the appointed time of torment. And so Jesus gave them permission, and these demons entered the pigs and 2,000 of them rushed down into the steep bank and, killed and, and uh, drowned in the sea. Now, why did the demons do this? Well, it's because that's what they're all about. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that Satan came to kill and destroy. They've been slowly destroying this man, but God's hand of mercy has been upon him, preventing the demons from killing this man. But the pigs have no such common grace upon them that immediately when they get in those pigs, they go to kill and destroy them because that's what they do. 
But this man experiences a remarkable change, does he not? And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. He now has clothes on him. He's regained his faculties. He can think. He's at peace with himself. He's no longer shrieking at the top of his lungs, throwing himself against stones. And he's not alone. He's there at Jesus' feet, sitting, not unwillingly, but in the position of a disciple. That's what a disciple did. He sat at his master's feet. You see, this man had a new master, and it made all the difference. Satan, like these traffickers, promises freedom, but gives slavery. Jesus promises discipleship and gives freedom. And so this man, for the first time in a long time, was free to be a human again, to love, to laugh, to think. What that must have felt like. But the people's response is quite different, is it not? The herdsmen, they fled and told it in the city what had happened. And they came out to Jesus and they saw this demon-possessed man who's at his feet, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? They were first afraid of the man. Now they're afraid of Jesus. Because that's what Satan does. He makes you afraid. And it says in verse 17, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why is that? Here is this man who's been liberated and rescued, and yet they're begging Jesus, leave. It's because they're in what's called a homeostasis with their environment. They've come to accept the reality of their world and their life, and they don't want it being unsettled. It's 23 hours in your cell, and you get one out. But we're comfortable with it. After all, you get three meals and a mattress, right? It's interesting. Jesus said to the demon, depart from here. But these people are saying to Jesus, depart from us. You see the difference between the man and the people? The man has gone from darkness to light. But they have gone from darkness to even more darkness. The man has moved from isolation to community, but they are still in a community of isolation. Even the demons recognize the authority of Jesus Christ, but the people do not. And as a result, this man is free while they are still trapped. The reality, my friends, is the world around us does not recognize Jesus. And they're trapped just like the people from this town. It's a clean hell, and we like it. 23 hours a day. People have grown comfortable being slaves to the one who keeps us in darkness. But it is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. So how are we set free? Just like this man. 
by receiving Jesus Christ, by submitting to a new master, by giving our imprisoned selves to him to set us free from the evil one. See, we were meant to be mastered. Every single one of us. It's why we give our hearts to things, to our job, to other people, to a band or to a sports team. Those are all just shadows of the fact that we were meant to be mastered by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus came not to be teacher, just teacher, or encourager, or coach. He came to be master. I remember at age 18 when I was mastered by Jesus Christ. Before that, I was imprisoned and I didn't even know it. I was living my life according to what the world was saying, how you're supposed to live your life. And I thought I had it all, not recognizing that I was in prison. And I remember hearing the gospel at that Young Life meeting and sensing the power of the Holy Spirit and recognizing that Jesus was the Son of God and giving my life to him. And I remember, like it was yesterday, the feeling of the weight of sin being taken off of my shoulders and the chains falling off of my body. Christ was my Lord and I was set free. And I didn't even know that I was a prisoner before then. Christ has come to rescue you and me. And the way he rescues us is by becoming our Savior and our Lord. So submit to him. Bend the knee. Bow to him. Give your life to him. Are you in homeostasis, trapped in a prison cell? You were meant for more. You were meant for liberation. Well, that brings me to my final point that we get to sing of our salvation. After all of this happened, Jesus was getting into the boat and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done and everyone marveled. This man wants to be with Jesus. And the great and wonderful thing is that Jesus wants to be with him. See, we think that he's going ahead and, and they're being separated, but this man is possessed by a new spirit, is he not? The Holy Spirit is in this man's body. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus isn't sending this man away. He's sending this man with himself back into the world. He's sending him home. The man finally gets to go home. But this man has a new master, a new power, because he's a new, position, he's a new possession of Jesus Christ. Because he has a new identity, he has a new message. And he gets to tell all of his friends and his family in his clear mind, clothed, what Jesus Christ has done for him. 
You know, we're just like that man if you're a Christian. It's no difference, is it? I was lost and I'm found. I was a prisoner and I'm free. And Jesus says to us, just like he said to this man, go into the world. I'm with you and I'm for you. And proclaim what God has done in your life. What an awesome privilege and responsibility. But that's why we're still here. That's why we're not with our Heavenly Father. Why we're still on this earth. It's because God has given us this awesome privilege to go to our friends and family and to proclaim what the Lord has done. Every time this man proclaimed this, he got to think back on the reality of God rescuing him. Have you considered are you holding on and treasuring the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ? Whenever you proclaim the gospel, you get to receive and reminisce and think on that truth and that reality that I am Christ and that he has rescued me. Well, I've gone over my time. So I'll simply sum it up with that one sentence that I started with. Jesus came to set you free by becoming your master. Live under his lordship and you will live in freedom. Are you his? There's no time like the present to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and to become his, a new possession, a new world, a new freedom. This is the gift of the gospel for Christ is certainly here as much as he was there. So let's take advantage of this great, great gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come to set you free by becoming your master. So bow your knee and you will live in freedom. Let's pray. Thank you, God. When I was lost, you found me. When I was a prisoner, you set me free. When I was in solitary confinement, you gave me a community. It's in you and in only you that we find freedom. So Jesus, I pray that not one person would leave this building without having surrendered their heart to you. For you are the only master who can promise true freedom. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.